Welcome to the Healing Herb Podcast. This is your grief expert and friend, Ashley Lemieux. I am sitting in my car with someone right now who I don't even think she realizes the impact that she has made on how we are helping raise our daughter, Annie Ray. So it's such an honor to be here with you. But if you guys remember, Mike and I had a really difficult time starting feeding with our own daughter. We had latch problems. I had milk supply issues. We were nervous about food allergies because she had allergies. And so then when it came time to introduce solids to her, we were absolutely terrified. Plus, my husband and I literally fit every description of what it is to be a first time (laughs) new parent to an only child. We are like hyper vigilant, anxious about everything. And so my husband took this food eating class for kids here in Arizona and he comes home with this book and I was like what is this book that is about to change my life all about recipes on feeding your kids and and how to feed them and for the first time I felt like we actually had outside support on this new journey of trying to understand what feeding a baby and toddler looks like because as simple as it I thought it would be it actually has been something that has been a learning curve for me and I think a lot of people feel that way. So without any further delay of introducing her, I am sitting in my car right now with Megan from Feeding Littles and I'm just so excited to have this conversation with you. Well, thank you. That's so sweet. That was such a sweet introduction. Can you tell our community a little bit more about you and the work that you do? Sure. So um, I'm Megan McNamee. I'm a dietitian and a certified intuitive eating counselor. I live in Arizona. It was very uh, fortuitous that we got to meet each other through Modern Milk. That's where I teach my local classes. I am the co-owner of Feeding Littles and we help parents and caregivers raise intuitive, adventurous eaters. And feeding is actually a lot more complicated or feels a lot more complicated to people than they expected because we have all these expectations about how our kid will eat and how we're going to do it differently than maybe what we see around us or what our parents did but then we actually have the child and we go through the process and especially as they get a little bit older and they start to have opinions about food we realize oh wow there is a reason why people gave gave their kids chicken nuggets or mac and cheese because they would actually eat it, you know? And suddenly we understand that it's not as simple as, you know, put food on the plate and they're going to eat it. So my business partner is a feeding therapist. Her name is Judy. If you follow us online, you'll see videos and funny content from her as well. She's a very seasoned um, feeding therapist that's kind of seen it all. And so our content covers not only what to feed, but how to feed in a way that helps our kids grow up with a healthier relationship to food than we had. Because a lot of us were taught that food is all about weight and body size. And, it, you know, it's healthy versus not healthy. Um, if you were eating something, quote, unhealthy, you were bad. Um, and usually unhealthy things were just high calorie things or things that could cause weight gain. So it, it was a little complicated for so many of us growing up. And we are trying to break that cycle and help parents break that cycle for their own family. So, uh, yeah, I'm excited to be here. Thank you for having me. I'm a huge fan of the podcast. 
The work that you guys do is so supportive. And I remember myself growing up, it was so normal for me starting in middle middle school to just go into the fridge and grab a Slim Fast mm. and have that be my meal for yeah. the day. And at no fault, you know, to my parents, I'm not saying it in that way, but this is the messaging that for right. so many generations we have been told of good for food versus bad food right. or having your body look a certain way and the weight loss, the diet culture. Yeah. I mean, from generation to generation, when we hear things right. that can be very much passed down. And I think that right now there is more conversation surrounding how can we help change the conversation so that our kids can grow up with better body image for themselves. So yep. today Megan's here with me so that we can help answer the question of how can I raise my kids to have a good relationship with their bodies and with food. Mm -hmm. So where I would love to start with you, because it might be a term that people are hearing for the first time, what does intuitive eating mean? That's a really great question. Intuitive eating means getting back to our innate signals of what our body is asking for and listening inwardly as to how much and what to eat versus outwardly. Uh, to know what foods to choose and what and and what quantities of food to eat. That's a really oversimplification. I don't want the intuitive eating zealots to 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 think that that's all <laughs> it is to you. come after me. <laughs> but I I think just starting by explaining it in that way, intuitive eating just means getting back to our internal signals instead of our external signals about about food and satiety and and how much and when to eat. And it doesn't mean that nutrition isn't important. There's actually a chapter called Gentle Nutrition. It's one of the last chapters in the book. And it just means that we have to reject dieting and all of the external rules that we've learned about how we should eat for a certain body size or how we are good if we do, you know, we eat a certain way or bad if we eat another way in order to help get back to really what our body is asking for. And the cool thing about intuitive eating, I think the healing thing for so many parents is that babies are born intuitive eaters. We as a society are the ones that kind of change them from that, right? We tell them, oh, you're, you're not hungry. You're, you just ate, you're not hungry. You, or you need to stop eating that. Or maybe you need to eat more. You only had two bites of that. You need to eat more, but they might be full. And we teach them with the best intentions because we care about them and we want them to grow and th thrive. We sometimes teach them to stop listening to what their body is telling them. And it goes kind of beyond food. Um, what I love about kind of trusting our kids with those innate signals is that when we learn to teach, we, we continue to trust those signals and teach them to trust their own bodies, they will be more likely to trust themselves when they have other signals as they grow older. And that's really what I think gets me excited about this, this work. I want my child to know if I get a yuck feeling about someone or something, I need to listen to that feeling. And that comes from cultivating over many, many years, trust in ourselves and trust in what our body is trying to say, because our bodies are wise. I know that there's a lot. It's, it sounds very complicated and hard. It's not. It's not a guilt trip. There's so many things that all of us do that we're like, oh, I wish I had done it a little bit differently than that. You don't have to have a perfect relationship with food to start working on this in your own family. And it's not a diet. It's not all or nothing. There are just certain things that can be helpful if you're interested in making you know, small changes to help your child grow up with 
a healthier relationship to food in their body than we did. So I know that I'm kind of leading into that. If that's okay, I can yes. I can kind of share what are some things that we can do at home to allow ourselves to raise intuitive eaters and raise kids that have a healthier relationship to their bodies. First and foremost, it's so, so important to be mindful of how we talk about our own bodies. And that is something that is so hard because it's modeled for us everywhere. We see it on social media, people kind of analyzing themselves and picking themselves apart. We probably saw it from our parents. Um, you know, our moms might not have ever wanted to wear a swimsuit or said, I can't wear that. I look fat in that. Or maybe they told us that we shouldn't wear something or do something because of how it made us look. And our kids, you know, not everyone has biological children, but if, you're, if your child is your biological child, they are literally genetically tied to what you look like. And so when you're bashing your own body, it's almost as if you're bashing theirs because mm-hmm. they they are in your image in so many ways. And even even if your child is not your child biologically, they're learning about how to feel about their body from how you talk about your own. And it's so we all know this, you know, you you say that one bad word one time and your toddler repeats it 50 times. They're watching us and if we're in the habit of bashing ourselves and, you know, oh, yeah, you can eat that because you're skinny. Mommy can't eat that. I'm on a diet or I look horrible in this or I'm not going to get in the picture because I look terrible. I look fat, whatever it is. They start to pick up on that. And so I know that this is this is uncomfortable and can feel really hard if this has been a habit for you or all you've seen. But if you can try to practice it doesn't need to be this like fake positivity, but even just neutrality about your body when you're talking ar- about it around your kids. We don't need to bash our bodies to exist in our bodies. We can actually just not even comment about our bodies. And that's something that's kind of been a rule in our home. We don't talk about other people's bodies. It's just something we don't do, you know, um, especially in a negative way. We don't I don't talk about like celebrities, you know, oh, she shouldn't be wearing that. Or I can't believe your friend is doing this or whatever with it. You know, their body looks a certain way. We're just kind of in the habit of not speaking about other people's bodies. Another thing that we can do in our homes. that Wait, can-, can I pause you right yes, there? Yes. Because what you just said, I'm like, I don't want to gloss over any of this yes, because it is a lot such, of information, too. Well, but it's so helpful. And what's been surprising to me with having just a 17 month old baby is how much she picks up on Mm -hmm. and the words that she will say that she's heard me say and she'll be able to label things. And I'm like, I had no idea that you are absorbing so much of this. And you're also looking to me to see my reactions to things and to see, you know, how you should mimic responding to things. And so one of my questions for you is because I know, I know there are so many women who are listening to this who might be feeling a little bit guilty yeah because they're like man I I have said some things around my kids that I regret or my kids have seen me in a diet or Mm -hmm. or I just I have a hard time accepting my own body and so you know that comes across to my kids how can we help them move forward Mm -hmm. in a way where they feel empowered about it and not guilty because I don't I don't think it's too late right like there's always time to course correct so what can that look like and I think it depends on your child's age but I do want to be very clear if you have said something about yourself negatively around your child or if you've been on a diet or if you feel like oh my gosh I've totally messed this all up it's not because you're a bad parent you didn't do anything wrong you're actually 
parroting literally the entire culture around you. Yes. <laughs> like it's almost hard. This is counterculture, what I'm talking about. It's not what most people do. And so please don't feel guilty if you feel like I've already messed up. I've already ruined them. You haven't ruined them. And actually what's so cool, depending on how old they are, if your children are a little bit older, like in elementary school or older, you can even talk them through this. You can say, hey, you know, I every time I've tried on new clothes, I've gotten really upset or I've said I, this looks horrible on me or I look fat or I don't like how my legs look or my whatever it is. I've said some negative things about my body in the past. And I think it's time that, that I'm going to start saying more positive things about my body or not not doing that anymore, because I don't want you to think in any way that there's something wrong with your body. And I need to show you that there's nothing wrong with my body either. Independent of how you look, independent of what you think about your body, you can have that conversation with your child. And the cool thing about kids is they're so resilient and they're so open-minded yes. and they respond well to those kind of messages oftentimes. Now, if your child's even older than that, if you've got a preteen or teenager, this is such a great opportunity for some awesome dialogue. They're, you know, talk to them. How do you feel about your body? What are the, the things that are bothering you right now? Like if you're being honest with yourself, when you look in the mirror, what do you say? What do you, you know, what do you see? And I like to remind my kids often that I think you're beautiful. I hope you think you're beautiful, but I also know that's the least interesting thing about you. That's the least important thing about you. And I know the culture around us, places you go and the things you consume, the, the media you consume will tell you otherwise. You know, on your gravestone, nobody's going to want to have, oh, she had a thigh gap. Right. But when you're in high school, right. you, I mean, I remember feeling that mm -hmm. way that that feels like one of the most important things yep. so, that you could have in that exactly, moment. Exactly, how you look. So one thing that can kind of help as they're growing, I know it's so easy to comment. I mean, our kids are adorable. Like we love them. We think they're the cutest things in the world, right? Everyone adores, you know, our kids are cute. They're beautiful. It's so easy to give them those compliments. And they are. And there's nothing wrong with saying that. What we can also do is give them non-appearance-based compliments yes. and then build them up on things that are not about how they look. And that's what's so kind of alarming about social media and kids in social media that you notice because people will post pictures and then it's just like, so cute, slay, you're beautiful, you know, all these comments. And we're perpetuating the seeking of this external validation, right? When one thing that you can do in your home is remind your child of the qualities that they have that are not related to their looks. And that's so powerful for kids to know that you know, I am not my looks and I'm going to, my body's going to change and I'm going to go through phases where I don't feel especially beautiful. I think that's very common for so many kids as they grow and change, but it's okay because I also know that that's not where my worth lies. My worth lies in something beyond that. Now it's easier said than done. And those of us that have been, that have been in middle school and high school, remember how hard that is to feel like that. But when we have parents and people backing us up that remind us of the amazing qualities that we have, it starts to seep in slowly. So a tangible thing you can do at home is every time you say your, your child is cute, which again, they're cute, like go, go for it and tell them. Try to also remind them of how smart they are or how kind they were for sharing their toy with their friend or how you noticed something about them that was a quality not related to their looks. And that can be a very tangible way to start. Thank you. That 
those <laughs> tools right there. I feel like if you could just take those and start implementing that, yeah. there could be a huge change even in how you start feeling about yourself. Yes. Because, you know, if you've heard the phrase, the best way we can learn something for ourselves is by teaching it to someone else. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of us have a hard time with this topic because we haven't been taught it. No. And instead we were taught the opposite. And so when we have a negative relationship with our own bodies or how we see ourselves, it can feel really overwhelming yep. to then try to teach the opposite to right. these little humans who we love more than anything. Yep. But sometimes teaching it to them is also what can help us too. Well, that's what's so healing about having a child is that we we get a chance to do this differently and not like kind of how you, you mentioned before. This is not a slam to our parents. Our parents were in a worse situation than we were, mm -hmm. and they tried their best. My mom was put on a diet when she was eight. She went went to a like, I don't know if it was Weight Watchers or something like that when she was eight years old. So she didn't have a, a chance, you know, I mean, and she's she's been so gracious to like to unlearn so many things and to go on this journey with me. And I tell her all the time, you know, we've if I didn't experience what I, you know, what I saw growing up with my mom always on a diet and going to Weight Watchers with her, um, she didn't put me on a diet, but she brought me there. She didn't know any different. She thought that that was kind of what what, what she could do to help herself and me be healthy. Um, but if I didn't experience that, I wouldn't be able to do this work. I wouldn't have that firsthand mm -hmm. real world history. What I want to, I kind of want to add to that is you don't need to have this figured out for yourself to help your child. We think in dieting terms, all or nothing. We think 100% or zero. We're pass or fail. It's actually very gray. And we can still struggle with our own body image and how we feel about ourselves and yet make it better for our kids. You don't have to be healed in this. You don't have to be 100%. You're not doomed. You're not, your child's not doomed either. This is a process and it's going to change as your kid gets older and every child has their own you know, challenges. But it is really cool to watch your child go through it a little differently than you did. And I, we get that feedback all the time, how healing it is to teach our kids to love, you know, love food for the experience, for how, how it can make our bodies feel good, how it can give us energy, how it can be tradition or celebration or culture, and not just the sum of its nutrients or if it makes us gain weight or not. Yes. And that's, that is really healing for us, again, even if we haven't figured it out ourselves. I don't think anyone's figured it out, right? I think we're all in this journey where we're, we're stuck in this like, you know, soup of, of images and messages that we're not good enough. Our bodies are never going to be beautiful enough or thin enough or whatever it is. It's always going to be a challenge, but we can set the foundation a little bit better for our kids just by not making that the focus at home. This is so, I feel like I'm just sitting here like a sponge absorbing <laughs> everything that you're saying. And as I think about my own daughter right now, I grew up in the Clean Plate Club mm -hmm. generation. Mm -hmm. We had a whole song that we would sing if we finished all of our food and entered into the Clean Plate Club. But then at the same time, the fridge was stocked with Slim Fast and we had, you know, Weight Watcher stuff lying around. Yep. So it felt very contradictory. I know right now because of the DMs that I got after last night, I said on my Instagram that I was going to be with you today. One of the biggest questions that I was asked was, 
how do we know if our kids are full? How much should we be trying to make them eat or not eat? And I think that that is something that I would love for you to touch on a little bit because going back to what you said in the beginning, which is so healing for so many people of how can we learn and teach our learn for ourselves and also teach our kids to trust our own bodies Mm -hmm. because that for so many of us was taken away at a very young age. And I feel like at least for me, I feel like that's my lifelong (laughs) healing process for myself of learning how to trust, but then doubting or feeling shame or wondering if my voice is important or if my gut is able to be trusted because externally I'm being told totally different things. So I love this concept of helping our children be intuitive eaters also helps them overall be able to trust themselves. I think all of us can raise our hand and say, I want that more than anything else for my child. So then circling back to this clean plate, club idea of (laughs) how do we make sure our kids are full and eating enough? What can that look like in our homes? Sure. I want to back up a little bit and kind of give people a framework so they understand kind of what we recommend. So we kind of loosely go off of the Ellen Satter division of responsibility where you're the, as a parent, you provide the food and they decide how much to eat. So your job is to offer food in regular intervals, usually every two to three or four hours, depending on nap schedules and such. And their job is to eat it or not. And if they want more of the pasta, but they haven't touched the green beans, we actually do recommend giving them more of the pasta. And it's counterculture from what we've learned. It was, you know, when when we were little, it was like, well, you, you need to finish all your vegetables before you get dessert. It feels sometimes that we're not doing our jobs as parents and making our kids eat or making them grow well or turning them into, quote, healthy eaters if we're not forcing them to do what we know is best. And yet we don't know what their bodies are saying. We don't know how that food feels on their body. We don't know if in their mouth when they chew something, it doesn't feel right. That would maybe be like a sensory or oral motor issue. We don't know if the last time they ate that food, it hurt their stomach. We don't know if they're just full and they just want a few bites of their cookie, just like a lot of us do. We don't necessarily finish our plate every night, but we do sometimes want to end up on a sweet note, right? And we've been taught that it's our responsibility to make our kids eat and get them to eat. And the only way we know how to do that is by what we've seen in the past. You have to clean your plate. You have to eat a certain amount of bites. You don't get X, Y, Z unless you eat this. We use food as kind of this bribery tool for so many things. And it gets complicated for kids because we're kind of teaching them Well, first and foremost, if you make a child eat their green beans to get something highly sought after, you're basically teaching them that like green beans suck, cookie, awesome. And that they kind of have to eat through things that they don't enjoy or don't maybe even feel good on their bodies to get what they really want. We don't want to teach kids that they have to earn food through behavior, right? Like it's a reward. Yeah, we don't like we don't need to reward them for eating their vegetables. We want them to want to eat their vegetables because they taste good and they help them feel good. And one meal or even a month of eating is not going to make or break their lifelong love of food. It is a process for kids to learn how to eat a variety of foods. It doesn't happen overnight. And for some kids, it can take many years for them to come back to vegetables or certain food groups. 
that is considered developmentally normal for a kid to maybe love all the things when they're a baby and then suddenly have more opinions and be more selective. We think it's because when they're 12 to 24 months, that's when they would become more mobile mm. and they could wander into the forest and eat the poisonous berry, the poisonous mushroom and hurt themselves. So it's theorized that it's built into them, hardwired into them, that they're supposed to be skeptical of new foods. At the same time, they've learned, hey, cracker from this color box tastes the same every time. Blueberry, different every time. <laughs> I mean, we've all had the fruit. I mean, probably had the fruit this year. It's sour. It's not as, you know, <laughs> right. or the berries are not consistent. No wonder kids struggle with, you know, fruits and vegetables because they're not the same every time we present it to them. So going back to kind of this framework, your job is to provide the food, you know, provide balanced meals. That would be like a protein food, a carbohydrate food and a fruit or vegetable or both if you want. And their job is to eat it or not. Now, it gets tricky because I understand parents' immediate responses. They say they're not hungry. They say they're full and then they want a snack afterwards. I totally get that. And I get that that's something that a lot of kids do. You can, depending on your kid's age, you know, if they're, if they're a little bit older or more communicative, you're saying, hey, this is all we have for dinner. We're going to bed soon. This is our dinner. You don't have to eat it if you don't want to. We want to make sure there's always a safe food on the plate for them to fill up on. Maybe they like bread or maybe it's the fruit or the rice or whatever it is. But there are a lot of kids that just don't eat that much for dinner. And it's okay to say, hey, if you don't want to eat that, that's okay. But this is what we're having. If you feel comfortable, if you want, you can also then offer a snack later if they're still hungry. But a lot of parents find that if they, if the kid doesn't eat dinner and then they offer a snack immediately, children usually wait for the snack. They learn like, hey, this is, I don't need to eat dinner. I'll just wait for it. So you kind of have two options here. You can experiment with, hey, this is dinner. This is what we're having. And this is all we're having tonight. Or you can, you can say, this is our dinner. And we're also going to have, you know, a planned snack before bed and serve it independent of how much they ate. I know that that's, that, that, that part is a little tricky. I know that everyone's going to have to do what works best for them. And if they start to learn, see that their kid is picking up on a pattern, if they're just hanging out for that snack, they're like, I'm not eating dinner because of the snack. Yes, that's hard and, and is challenging, but it is pretty normal for, for kids to go through that phase. And as long as you stay consistent with your meal and snack routine, they tend to figure out how to sit and eat their meals with you and enjoy them over time. I also want to reassure you guys, most young kids only eat two decent meals a day and snacks. Okay, I'm so relieved <laughs> to hear this. <laughs> because sometimes we'll get to dinner mm -hmm. and I'm like, is she okay? Is she not feeling well? Mm -hmm. She's not eating as much breakfast crush. She can yep. out eat Mike yep. breakfast every day. Yep. And then we get to dinner and I'm just get worried often yep. or she can get too hungry over the night yep. because she hasn't eaten that much. So I yep. love so, knowing this. And I know to kind of more specifically answer your question, how do we know when our kids are full? It's a process that takes time where we're we're offering those meals. They're going to they're going to eat maybe a lot, maybe a little, maybe nothing at all. And if we stay consistent with the routine, maybe in the next meal they eat a ton or the next snack they eat a ton because they didn't eat much at that that meal. And they they start to learn for themselves like, "Oh, if I don't want to be hungry, I should probably eat right now." But our kids have very unique hunger and fullness patterns that you and I do not have. My kids are not big breakfast eaters. They never have been. They're more dinner eaters. So they'll literally sometimes have two bites of breakfast. And I have a 10 and an eight year old that are in multiple sports that are very active. And I'm like, that's all you want to eat. And they're like, mom, I'm full. I don't want anymore. 
And I never push it because I sometimes don't like to eat breakfast till 10 o'clock in the morning and they're eating at 7 a.m. And I understand, you know, so we make sure that they have a snack in their bag. They eat breakfast or they eat lunch pretty early at school. Like they kind of backload the day. So how to know when kids are full? We have to practice letting them decide when they're full. We have to go through the motions of not making them eat more bites. We have to trust them in telling us that they're done. And your 17-month-old might not tell you, hey, I'm full. They might just swipe all the food off their tray. <laughs> they might just clear the uh -huh. tray for the dog. Yep. So clearing the deck and <laughs> dropping food is a very common toddler sign. I'm done. I'm all done from this. Sometimes they'll get out and they'll pick up the food off the floor and eat it. You know, they, they're weird like that. And like I said, this is a process. It's not like a one day make or break thing. It'll take time. But over time, if you trust your child, if, you know, they're, they're, it's okay to ask them like, hey, are you full? This is all we're having for, you know, tonight. Yeah, I'm full. No more. I'm all done. Over time, you're helping them continue to listen to those signals that they were born with. And over time, you're allowing them to know that that's what their body is saying. It's cool. My kids are older now. They're 10 and 8. So they we're learning about fueling ourselves mm. because they have sports. And so they're learning, okay, if I eat this kind of thing. I think this is how so many of us should have been taught nutrition. We didn't get this opportunity. It was literally like, this is healthy. This is not healthy. And it was anything with calories, you know, high calorie, high fat was unhealthy. My kids are learning, hey, if I eat a burger before a game, I don't feel good. That doesn't feel good on my stomach. If I don't have enough to eat before my two-hour practice, I crash at the end. They're learning about nutrition by function and feel. And that's really what I hope for them and our audience. It's not that nutrition doesn't matter. It's that if we miss the key elements of like being able to trust ourselves and listen to ourselves, then we're relying on external cues. We're relying on, you know, diets to tell us how much to eat. And we want our kids to continue to listen to their bodies. So I'll give you an example. I have a lot of clients that come to me and they can't not finish their plate. Because when they were young. That's me. I will eat until I'm sick of eating. Yep. And it will feel uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. And you might have digestive issues. <laughs> yes. You might feel this terrible, to lethargic. <laughs> that Thanksgiving food feel. Yeah. That is what day. a lot of people feel every single day when they eat. And it's very uncomfortable. And their body is saying, I don't want anymore, right? But because they were taught that it's not just a, a rule in our family, but like you are being a bad person if you don't eat all of your food because it's disrespectful to the cook. There are starving children everywhere. Yes, there's hungry children. This is a waste. Mm -hmm. You're doing bad things if you don't finish. Well, that sticks with us for so long. And we can't, it's so hard to break out of that. It's so hard to learn to go back to just listening to what our bodies are saying. And then on the flip side, so many people were taught, you know, you can only have a half cup of rice or a half cup of pasta, you know, like what this exact serving <laughs> size was. And if they were still hungry for more, it was hard for them to trust those, those hunger signals. And we don't want our kids to have to get so far away from what their bodies are telling them that they have this really rough journey back to it. We want our kids to be able to walk into a party. Hey, there's cake. Hey, there's pizza. There's a veggie tray. There's a, you know, strawberries and be able to eat all of it. And not be that kid that's stuck by, you know, the cake because it was never something they were allowed to have at home or feel like they can't eat anything at all because it's bad or it's unhealthy kind of thing. Like we want our kids to be able to navigate their food environment and it's going to go beyond the reaches of our house. They're going to go into the world and there's going to be sugar. There's going to be pizza. There's going to be all these things that they're exposed to. 
And what we do in our home can allow them to know how to handle that. So what again, just to kind of reiterate like the basics, you're in charge of what's served, they're in charge of how much to eat. And we also do recommend offering, you know, sweets and sugar foods at a rate that feels good to your family. I don't know if you guys are doing that yet. Some people start to do it, you know, around one or two. Some people even earlier, especially if they have older siblings at home. But bringing sweets into the environment, bringing, you know, more play foods, if you will, less healthy, quote unquote, foods can really actually help kids know how to navigate those as they get older. Something that I was introduced to for the first time a few years ago was serving dessert on the same dinner plate that Mm -hmm. you're giving your kids. And as I have been around people who do that, it has been so fascinating to me to watch the kids still eat what they want. Mm -hmm. And usually the dessert wasn't the thing that was being finished, but just having it on the plate and they could eat it as they wanted, but then they would choose the other foods. And um, this particular family that, you know, I'm, relaying this experience from the mom taught them she's an intuitive eating coach also so that's how I found out about intuitive eating in the first place but she would teach her kids from a young age everything being served is on the plate including dessert and then it's the well does tummy say full Mm -hmm. like how what is your tummy saying to you right now and so she'd have her little kids they'd be like like two years old saying tummy tummy says full but being really able to for them to drop in and learn how to listen to that feeling. I was like, okay, there's something here that I need to learn more about. So I bring that up because as you mentioned desserts, I know that there are so many parents, me included, who are like, is it okay for me to give dessert? How much dessert can I give? When should I be giving it? And I would love to hear you touch on that a little bit more. Well, we're filming this a little bit before Halloween. So it gets a little... This is actually today when this comes out is Halloween. So this oh, is happy so, Halloween. Happy Halloween. <laughs> this is so awesome though because right now, tonight, your kids are going to come home with a loads of candy. So how do yes. we handle that? I will give you our, I guess our play-by-play like instructional that I think is going to help you feel better. First and foremost, we all give candy and sweets way too much power. We're so scared of them because of what we've learned about sugar And we feel like if we let our kids, if we trust our kids with candy, that they're just going to become sugar addicts. And that's actually not what the research suggests. And and it's interesting if you see this in practice over and over and over again with families. When we take the power away from candy and sugar and we actually serve it to our kids, at a again, at a rate that feels comfortable. If you have a one-year-old at home, maybe you're not giving them, you know, dessert every night yet. Maybe you're not ready for that. But offering it regularly and not making a big deal about it, not tying it to behavior or any sort of thing that they have to earn. It's amazing how they learn how to listen to their bodies more effectively. My 10 year old last night, literally, we usually now we're in the habit of after dinner, I just say, go grab, go grab dessert. It's usually 730. We're done with all the sports and it's fast. Try to get to bed, go grab a dessert. And it's funny to see what they'll do. They'll, you know, they'll grab maybe a mini ice cream cone. Maybe they'll want a bigger dessert. My 10-year-old was like, I got three Oreos because they're the thin Oreos. They're not as satisfying. (laughs) They're not as filling. You know, they're not as good as the regular Oreos. And I was like, you go, girl. Like, you know what you're wanting. And if she said to me, hey, I actually want another Oreo. I'm not satisfied. I'd be like, okay, let's have another Oreo. But one kind of, if you want a practical breakdown of this for Halloween specifically, 
first and foremost, serve them a dinner <laughs> before you go trick or treating. <laughs> and they're going to be really excited. You know, oftentimes people do like neighborhood things where there's yeah. a potluck situation and maybe it's chilly and your kid's like, meh. We tend to do something that we think our kids are going to really go after, like pizza. Something that has some protein in it, some mm. fat, something that's satisfying. Because we all know what it's like if you go trick-or-treating and you're starving, you're going to be eating the candy the whole way. It's like going right? grocery shopping, yes, yes. starving. Yeah, you want to sit, you want to enjoy it. We want to yes. make sure it's safe for them, right? So first and foremost, make sure that there's a satisfying meal before you go. They may or may not eat it. I totally get that. But at least you're offering something, right? Then when you come home, we do recommend sorting it for choking hazards. If you have kids under four, you want to make sure anything that's super hard is either modified, like chopped up, or it might be part of the mommy, the mommy, daddy, parent stash. You know, um, we always say that you have to take your parent tax at that point. I love that. Get, this yeah. is going to be our first parent for tax year too, and I'm so excited. For safety. You have <laughs> for to. For safety yeah, reasons yeah. only. Ooh, Twix bars. No, not safe for you. Yeah. So, um, actually, you know, people are probably like, wait, Twix bars? No, those are actually probably one of the easier things for kids to eat. But, you know, anything that's like a hard candy um, even like Skittles or things that can be really hard for them to chew for especially the young toddlers, you would want to, to eliminate those. Um, usually the chocolate things are easier for them to chew. So then you sort and you kind of take out anything that might be unsafe for them. And then this is the kicker that scares people. Experiment with letting them have their fill on Halloween night. Mm. And I know that's like, oh my gosh, I would never do that. They're going to have a stomach ache. Well, a natural consequence to a stomach ache is I don't want to do that again. It's okay for us to learn, I ate that and I didn't feel well. <laughs> but what the interesting thing is, and I've taken literally thousands of families through this process, that usually doesn't happen. They usually don't eat that much. And they usually kind of are more interested in the act of having the candy. You know how toddlers are like, I got my rocks and I put them in my purse and I carry the purse everywhere, right? It's probably not even a purse. It's like something, you know, it's like an <laughs> oven mitt, right? They, they want their things. And their items. And oftentimes it's trick-or-treating is more about like I collected the candy and it's mine now. It's not really about eating the candy. So you might be surprised if you try this. Kids are really funny about how they'll try a few. They'll, they'll probably spit some out because they don't like it. They'll try a few pieces and they tend to not go that crazy about it. As they get older, you might notice that they want to eat a little bit more. But again, it's a really good learning process for them. What feels good in your tummy? And now that our kids are older, we'll say like, hey, what are we, you know, what do you guys want to try? What are you excited about? And they'll eat. And we'll say, let's do a tummy check. Let's check in with ourselves. How does this feel on our bellies? And, you know, my older one is not as interested in sweets. My younger one loves sweets. I think they kind of took after myself and my husband. I'm more of a salty, savory person. So my oldest one is always like, ugh, I'm over this. And my younger one, will, you know, I'll say, well, how many more pieces do you think we should have? You know, what, what will be satisfying to you? And sometimes if she eats too much or doesn't feel good, she'll say, oh, that that didn't really feel good. But again, that's how we learn. It's not the end of the world if our kids have, kid has a stomach ache, right? Now, I know this is tricky if you have allergies or like other medical things going on. But if your kid has a relatively uncomplicated situation with food, it's okay to let them try to have their fill. And then Again, you are responsible for deciding when to serve things. It's not people kind of assume this means, OK, well, then whenever my kid asks for all of time until they finish their candy bag, I give them candy. No, again, you are still in charge of what to serve and when to serve it. I like to normalize the candy because it's exciting after you've gotten it that first night. And so I'll put it in their lunches like for a week. I'll put a piece or two of candy in their lunches. And sometimes I'll even say, what, what do you want in your lunch? And they'll pick out a piece or two or whatever. And then it's just we kind of just phase it out and I end up donating it. They don't even really notice. Some people are really into the switch, which 
I'm not here to like tell people like, hey, don't do that or whatever. I just I want you to consider the idea that it kind of, again, elevates candy to this really special status. Mm. So for us, I usually let my kids kind of become uninterested in it. And oftentimes I'll ask them, hey, do you want to donate it? And if they don't, that's fine. But usually they don't even remember that it was there and they're fine giving it away. And we just send it. We donate it to places that send it to like the troops overseas. So I know this Halloween thing feels scary, but I also want you to put yourself in your kids' shoes for a moment. What did Halloween feel like when you were a kid? It was joy. Oh, it was excitement. so exciting. Yes. yes. And the candy was part of it. But and it like wasn't... we'd trade the candy. Yeah. And I remember just listening to what you're saying. I would eat some of the candy. But for me, that wasn't the excitement. Mm-hmm. It was just having it and sorting it yeah. and trading it. And then... And like, and then it would go hard. You got after the big candy. Cause... You got the big candy yeah. from that one family that gave out full size candies. You're not going to eat it though. Like you're excited no, to have it, but special. yeah, you don't eat yeah. it because hello, <laughs> like you want to show it off. So that's the thing. Like, I think we've removed so much joy from eating. Yes, we really have. We've eliminated or just really reduced the idea that eating should be pleasurable and enjoyable. And for our kids, like. It's okay that your kid likes mac and cheese. It tastes good for most people. It's okay that they enjoy ice cream or they enjoy nuggets or they enjoy eating an entire pound of strawberries and you feel like you're going broke on fruit. You know what I mean? Those things are foods that they like. And there's nothing shameful or wrong about enjoying foods. Now, I know one of the questions you got was, how do I get them to eat healthy foods? Yeah. And... One kind of rephrasing of get them that we like to offer, and this is from Extreme Picky Eater, Picky Eating Help. I think that's what her her IG handle is. Jenny is an amazing feeding therapist. And one thing she says is, let's reframe from get your child to eat to let your child eat. Oh, I love that. Isn't that that brilliant? I actually just read that. I think you reposted Mm -hmm. that on your Instagram, and I read that, and I was like, that reframe feels so empowering yes. to as a parent where you're not just beating yourself up about their eating yep. because your job isn't to get them to do it. It's to let it's them to let do them. It. Your job is not to make them eat. Your job is to let them eat and offer foods that can help them grow and thrive. But I think we get so caught up in and this is diet culture. I think so many of us are scared of our kids not eating healthy because of They'll gain too much weight or they won't have a health. They won't have a healthy diet when they're older or whatever. We're also panicked about nutrition. I don't think our parents felt like this. No, I also think sometimes mom shame gets in the way too, where Mm -hmm. we feel judgment by others or we compare ourselves to what we're seeing, especially now with social media. Well, well, this mom is cooking a homemade meal every single night and I'm running through the drive through again. Right. I think sometimes we internalize this. Is my kid going to be okay with what I'm feeding them? Which then really the baseline of that thought is, am I a good enough mom? Yes. I think that's really what all of this gets back to. Am I doing right by my child? Am I doing what I'm supposed to be doing? And the only model that we have for this is what we saw with our own families. Mm-hmm. And they had no idea either. <laughs> We're all just trying to figure out how to eat, which feels like it should be so it easy and basic. It should be so easy. <laughs> now, I do think that if we never had so many messages about this is healthy, this is not healthy, that we would probably be a lot better at this. Yeah. <laughs> I think it'd be easier. It'd be like, yeah. well, that, you know, I really haven't had. I mean, we came home from Disneyland and my daughter was like, can I have a salad? 
And I was like, yeah, that's probably what your body's feeling right now. <laughs> your body's craving I'm the salad. I'm sick of burgers and churros <laughs> and I want a salad, you know? So when it comes to how do we, quote, get them to eat healthy, I'm using air quotes all the time as if you guys can see them. I know there's like a... We can feel yeah, them can feel through them. the podcast sure. listening. <laughs> um, uh, one of the podcasts I listen to always says, it's not a good visual medium. It's just not a good visual medium. Um, the best way to help our kids learn how to eat a variety of foods is to serve them a variety of foods and to model eating a variety of foods. If we want our kids to love vegetables, we have to serve them vegetables. Well, and sometimes it takes them seeing it a few times, a right? A lot of times. Before they're going to yes. try it or start enjoying it. So it's the offering yep. that is consistent so that they can become more familiar with it. A lot of times we'll phrase it as an exposure versus a serving or something that it's assumed that it's, it's eaten. Just seeing it on the plate is powerful. For your child to learn how to eat something, it can take 15 to 20 times seeing it on their plate. And I know that sounds frustrating, but it is a process and they have, it takes time sometimes for them to learn to like it. And you might've noticed this, like I'll use salad as an example. Salad is a tough food for a lot of kids. It's mixed textures, a lot of different flavors, a lot going on there. But if you're a salad fan at home, I'm a big salad fan. I love non-boring, non-diet salads, like really, you know, good dressings and avocado and cheese and all that good stuff on it. My kids at two, want, even one, were reaching for salads and wanting to eat salads because they kept seeing me eating it over and over again. And now salads are something we eat every week as part of our meals. But it didn't happen overnight. And it can take a long time for regular non-pressure exposure for kids to want to eat something. I kind of liken it to... If we want our children to be polite and say please and thank you, it's important for us to say please and thank you. Same idea. If we want our kids to like certain foods or be comfortable with certain foods, we have to keep exposing it to them. And I know it's so hard when you're like, I just know they're not going to eat it. Well, we don't know 100%. They might surprise us. And we don't need to give them an entire big plate of broccoli. Just one piece of broccoli is an exposure to it. And Ironically, kids are actually more likely to eat that one piece versus a big plate mm. because it's less visually overwhelming. Something else that I learned from you about this is sometimes serving it to them cut up differently mm-hmm. or even positioned differently on their plate mm-hmm. is a way of exposing them to it that that time that might look appealing yep. to them if it's changed up a little bit. Yeah, just cha- even if you're serving it, you know, maybe you serve it sauteed, maybe you now try to bake it or try to serve it raw in little pieces with some dip. It doesn't have to be this like major effort where you're like, oh, I'm trying everything in the world and all these different things and I have to expose them to a certain number of foods by the time they're one or I have to, you know, get really complicated. It's just when you're cooking for yourself or your family and say there's a vegetable in there, make sure it gets on your kid's plate. And maybe today you try it with garlic instead of basil. It doesn't have to be this like big complicated effort. If you think back to what you ate as a kid, I think it can be helpful to remember, like, I know we had vegetables. I'm sure we did, but I don't really remember them until high school. Yeah, I don't remember what I ate as a kid, honestly. Yeah, you just remember that you had to clean your plate, right? Yeah. Just had to eat it all. You had to yeah. Eat it. yeah, I mean, and there's certain foods that kind of got villainized when we were younger, like Brussels sprouts were disgusting, like disgusting. And now we've learned, oh, hey, you know what? Steamed Brussels sprouts plain not so delicious. They need some oil. They need butter. They need some, some fat. Balsamic, balsamic vinegar. Some vinegar. Yeah, yeah, give me that. Yeah, some salt. Like <laughs> Air fryer. It. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like suddenly those foods are good and so much more appealing. So don't feel like just because your kid didn't eat it one time, that they're never going to eat it. It is a process. 
And the best way we can teach our kids to learn how to eat a variety of foods is, again, by serving it to them. Another thing you can do is get them in the kitchen. And I know that this is wildly annoying for a lot of people. But it's so fun. It can be so fun. We just start doing this. And it's like, li- yes. I just lit up when you said that because this right now for me is creating so many fun memories. And yes. I also know, though, especially if you have multiple kids, yes. that it can feel it very can feel overwhelming. overwhelming. And I think it depends on temperament, too. Yes, that's also true. I have a yes. very calm, tempered yes. Yes. baby right now and sometimes you know gender plays into it too mm-hmm. sometimes girls are a little bit more patient this is a mm-hmm. very big generalization but I've noticed at least with with our clients that like you know girl moms can oftentimes have a little bit more patience to stand there and do that activity and a lot of times the boys will have more interest in more large motor activities and so they don't want to stand there and help you rip lettuce leaves it takes too much time and attention standing there for that one one moment. So I'm not here to say like this is a lovely, angelic, wonderful experience for everyone. Because I know for some of you, we just posted about this like a few days ago. And some of some of were saying like it's literally my hell moment. Yeah. Like dinner time, making food at night is when everyone's melting down. My kids are beating the crap out of each other. I hate it. And you have to do it every night. And you have so to do it every r- night repetitive thing that can make all of us just feel so anxious and stressed because the dinner time is coming. Yep. And everyone's like, why do why do we have to eat again? You know, (laughs) I have to figure this out again Uh, for that millionth night in a row. So I totally get that for depending on your child's age and temperament and the situation in your home, it might not be fun to cook with them and involving them in any way is good. Even if it's, hey, can you help me pick out some red foods? at the grocery store. Like it doesn't have to be all or nothing. Again, I think we get into this mode of like, if I say that I want to have my kid help me cook, I have to do it for every meal. Mm -hmm. That is not true. I have my kids help me cook like a few times a month. It doesn't have to be this big thing. But if you want to bring them into the kitchen, if you have the capacity for that, it does sometimes help them learn to eat that food. Ironically, when they're cutting or, you know, washing or whatever something, they're more likely just to pop it in their mouth. So... It's a fun way for them to feel safe trying that that thing. And they're also learning some important life skills about how to you know, prepare food. You know what's wild to me is that I feel like I could sit and have this conversation with you for the next five hours. I know, I could keep going. Talking about all the things food. And what I love about you and the work that you do is that you break it down in such a manageable, tangible way where even just this conversation that we've had together right now There are so many things that we can now take home into our families and start implementing right away. Um, So thank you so much for just everything you've shared with us right now. Mm -hmm. And I would love for you to end this conversation with what is the one thing that you want people to take away from this conversation? Because I know that we've said a lot of things and there's still more to learn. And if a parent is listening and they're like, this all sounds really great. But for me, dinner time is so chaotic. Either I'm a single parent or or my spouse is working and I'm handling it alone, juggling the kids. If if there's one thing that I can focus on Mm -hmm. right now, what would you say to them? One of the best places to start is just by eating together. Oh, I love that. Just by eating together. It's the first thing we teach in our courses. It's 
there's so much science actually behind family meals and they don't have to be candlelit dinners with five courses and like something that you even cooked. If you're at McDonald's before they run off into the ball pit, try to sit and eat together for two minutes. Connection at mealtime is as important as what's on the plate. And I think we're so worried about what they're going to eat and how much and all these things that we forget that making the meal something that's an enjoyable experience for everyone matters. And that's kind of why we teach what we teach. If you lay off the pressure, if you serve them the food and trust that they're going to eat how much their body tells them to eat, if you make mealtimes a positive thing, they're going to want to come to the table. And that's so much bigger than just eating. It's, you know, them sharing their life with you when they're teenagers and they don't normally want to talk about it. It's them finding joy in um, meals with others and like social like their social health as they get older and loving to share food with others. It's them learning language and customs and your culture and learning about the types of foods that are important to your grandparents and all that. It, it, it's, it's bigger than just what you put on the plate. So if you're struggling with this, if you're like, I'm not doing this right, there is no right or wrong. This is again, a big gray area, right? We're all gonna do this our own way. But if you can try to eat together when you can, even if it's you, you sitting down with your cup of coffee as your kid eats breakfast because you are not hungry yet, that connection, that peace is so powerful for both of you. Thank you. This was so good. Thank you. You have a book, you have courses, you teach classes. Mm-hmm. Can you tell everyone where to come find you? And we sure. will also make sure that we link it all below because I'll tell you that Megan and Judy on their Feeding Littles Instagram page is one of my very favorite follows. And the information you provide every day is just so tangible. It's like this conversation times a thousand because you get it every single day. Yep. So where can Thank you. they come find you? Yes. Yeah, so we're um, at Feeding Littles on Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, Pinterest. Um, you can also head to feedinglittles.com to get it. We have online courses for babies and then one to 10 year olds. And then we also do have a cookbook. So that is something that launched last year that people are enjoying. So hopefully it's been something if you if you have it, we're, we're excited to kind of be in your kitchen um, more often. But we're most often on Instagram. So that's where you'll find us most. Thank you guys so much for joining us on this week's episode of Healing Her. And until I see you again next week, take good care of yourself. I'm so honored you joined us for this episode of the Healing Her podcast, where healing isn't just a destination. It's an empowering, transformative adventure. Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss brand new episodes each Tuesday. And if you're ready for more tangible tools, make sure you grab my best-selling book, I Am Here, wherever books are sold or in the link in the show notes below. Take good care of yourself until I see you again next week. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.